Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's Hunter, and I'm here with Trex. Hello. And we're Think Tank. Uh, it's been a little while. We had a show that we were going to do directly after the midterms, and we had a, a file corruption issue, and we weren't able to push that out. And then me and Trex are in our senior year, so we went through all of our finals and uh, have some family stuff going on. So it's been a little bit chaotic, but we're back in action. So we're sort of going to do a double hitter today, which is um, we're going to sort of start by talking about the midterms. And that'll be one episode of us just discussing the midterms. Uh, and then we're going to do a secondary episode as to, you know, sort of what are we looking at in 2024. Um, so let's just jump right in. Trex, you know, the, the Senate was kind of a surprise this year. You know, we had a lot of sort of, uh, as Mitch McConnell put it, poor candidate quality. Do you want to comment on that? Um, yeah, I think it's that was right on the nose with that. Um, we had really bad candidates all around the board. Um, looking at Georgia, we had a former football player, Herschel Walker. Looking at Pennsylvania, you had a TV or TV spokesman. It's really bad because these candidates really don't show that they have any experience in public policy and dealing with the public, dealing with policy that affects everybody, and really showing that thinking. But also, the candidates just came off as too radical. Um, a lot of people just did not associate with these uh, candidates because they were associated with Trump and. They won the primaries very easily, but when it came to the general, they fell apart because they were just too radical for some. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think, you know, we live in Arizona, folks, and you definitely saw that with candidates like Blake Masters, and we'll get into the governor elections a little later on, but Kerry Lake, where, you know, Blake Masters had a fairly winnable race. You know, Mark Kelly is a pretty good incumbent, but he definitely had some flaws, especially if you ever watched the debate. And, you know, a candidate who is better equipped, someone like maybe our attorney general, Mark Brnovich, or one of our congressmen who were running for that election, but then Blake Masters got Trump's endorsement and ended up winning the primary. But he was completely underprepared to win a general election. He wasn't able to swing to the center hard enough to... Um, really appeal to those moderate voters. And the big thing was that he really tried to cover up some of his past positions rather than saying, you know, I've had a change of heart. He would just say, well, I'd never had that position in the first place when, you know, there's clear evidence that he did. Yeah. I think he felt too sneaky to voters for, yeah. for example, Blake Masters, you know, he changed his website policies and, you know, he went from a hardcore stance on abortion to then a more moderate stance. And he should have just been more open with being opening with changing his values and saying, you know, on the campaign trail, I've seen the effects of this and I've, you know, realized I need to change my stance. But mm -hmm. he tried to hide it. And I don't think people bought that and didn't like that because it felt like a typical politician. Right. Changing their stances and lying about their where their stance was before. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's further exemplified with a man like Herschel Walker or with Mehmet Oz, where, you know, Oz would often, you know, the big thing with Oz was sort of his wealth, which is the fact that, you know, he primarily lived in Pennsylvania, not in Pennsylvania, but in New Jersey. Uh, and, you know, he was hugely wealthy, which, you know, has helped or hurt candidates in the past. But in Pennsylvania, it's, you know, Pennsylvania is a heavy, you know, union worker state. It's a pretty heavy, um, you know, used to be a heavy mining state, but it's generally not super interested in those sort of flashy, super wealthy candidates. And that's why they went with John Fetterman. Even though John Fetterman suffered a stroke, he came from a small town. He championed those union and more liberal policies, and he just really ended up winning in the end, even though he is a much more progressive guy 
than a lot of people think he is. He's not a moderate politician by any means. He's very liberal, very progressive, um, sort of in the same mold. Not quite as liberal as Bernie, or as progressive as Bernie Sanders, but more of, you know, if you look at Elizabeth Warren or Ed Markey, uh, someone like that who's just more of that hardliner liberal. Um, and even with his stroke, he able he was able to sort of pull it out because Mehmet Oz was just such a terrible candidate with so, with you know nothing basically. And um, to me, it was crazy as um, Fetterman came off as the more common man than Oz, and they're both on a similar education um, level. You know, right? Fetterman went to Harvard. Oz, I don't know. Oz did go to Harvard. The yeah. hards, they both went to Harvard, but Oz's vocabulary really you know, did not appeal to most people. Uh, when just him going to the grocery store, he spoke the, like he was an Oxford professor, the like crudite comment. Yeah, yeah. The crudite comment where Fetterman seemed like he cared about the common per- person. He was relatable. He, I didn't like this, but he always would wear his hoodie because mm-hmm. he wanted to be more relatable to the people of Pennsylvania. Other than Oz, Oz became, came off as a elitist. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he just didn't appeal to common voters. Um, and Georgia was a complete disaster. Um, you know, Raphael Warnock was already a pretty tough incumbent, um, and he's a really strong candidate in general. And we'll probably talk about him in our next episode when we start talking about presidencies in 2024 and 2028. But he's a really strong incumbent. He has a very, you know, strong showing in Georgia. Um, and he's a tough cookie, you know, but you probably could have beat him with, you know, a different candidate. Maybe Doug Collins, who is a representative who ran in 2020, uh, could have had a chance at beating him. But when you go with Herschel Walker, who I will admit, I think is a fantastic football player, yeah. but he lived in Texas. He said that he was pro-life with no exceptions, and yet he paid for two abortions. He talked about how he didn't like... Uh, kids who grew up in fatherless households, and yet he, you know, raised or did not didn't raise three of his kids who he had out of wedlock with three different women, and it was just sort of a series of contradictions. He wrote in one of his books once that he was a pathological liar. You know, he he was sort of put in there because it would just be like you could basically put him up there, and he would just vote for Republican policies. He doesn't have any policies of his own. He doesn't really have any of his own beliefs. But he does, he would have provided a very solid Republican vote. Um, and, you know, Georgians did not seem to like that. They didn't seem to like the flip-flopping. They didn't like his lack of moral values. I think that really hurt him with a lot of social conservatives who, you know, Raphael Warnock is a Baptist minister who uh, is at the church that Martin Luther King used to practice at. And, you know, it was clear that he had this ability to really connect with some more religious voters who traditionally go with Republicans, uh, as well as moderates, just because, you know, he combined some, he was a very liberal senator, but he combined that with, you know, being a Baptist and sort of, he was able to sort of transmit those liberal ideas to more religious voters who generally go Republican. And with Georgia, you know, when you look at the governor's race and look at the Senate race, governor's race, I believe Brian Kemp won by... About eight points. About eight points. And when you look at the Senate race, it was a very close election. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's shocking and it's kind of weird because they should be almost more similar. They should be almost having the same point percentage. Maybe Herschel Walker being a little bit lower. But because Herschel Walker was so associated with Trump and voters had such a bad taste with Trump, 
and his rhetoric, they voted down Herschel Walker and they right. went with Brian Kemp for governor because they liked him. Brian Kemp has stayed away from Trump. He's not touched that toxic waste of Donald Trump. Right. And that's the problem. But I will have to give credit to Herschel Walker's concession speech. He was a very um, – he was a good loser. He mm-hmm. he didn't call out for election fraud, didn't do any yeah. of that. He went down quietly and has – I don't think he filed anything. So he went down and respected the results. And I think that's a good direction for Republicans to start doing instead of yeah. calling it false election fraud because it, this leaves a bad taste in voters' mouths. I mean, it feels it feels ridiculous to even say it, to tell you the truth, folks, which is the fact that if you lose an election, you should just say you lost it. Um, you know, for a lot of these cases, I think it's time the Republicans learn that it's not the fact that they're just losing because it's rigged against them. They're losing because their policy ideas are not appealing to a majority of Americans. They're appealing to a good 40 percent of the hardline conservatives and a good five, you know, probably about five, 10 percent of you know, the rest of, or well, you know, independent America is 35% of people. So they're appealing to a good 40% of those people as well. But the Democrats just have a more, much more successful messaging to those moderates, to those suburban voters. And it's just going to keep killing them until they figure out a way well, to get more moderate. And I think the person that's hurting the Republican Party is Donald Trump. I mean, yeah. when you look at it, like in Georgia and Arizona and multiple state races, it's people that did not associate with Trump had great Republican point win percentages um, and had had these great victories. Absolutely. And people that did associate with Trump, they won either their state with the same amount of votes that Trump won in 2020 2020 for the presidential election, Mm -hmm. or they lost. And I think that's where we have to show that, or that's where Trump has lost his power. He is Mm -hmm. not what people want anymore. And that's where Republicans need to decide to dump him or change their rhetoric regarding certain things because absolutely i believe there's a lot of people that support trump's policies like um but just don't like trump like for example ron DeSantis. a lot of people would say he is a trump but a more typical politician Mm -hmm. and he is more refined and but people like him and a lot of his policies are very similar to trump right so i think even more conservative than trump in some ways yeah, yeah and more conservative so i think people need to drop uh, the rhetoric of Trump, drop the, his style of talking, and drop the election denying, and then they'll have a good platform and right. get these Republican wins that they can get because we're seeing those right. wins happen. Absolutely. I think the important distinguishing factor is the fact that Trump is a populist and DeSantis is just a conservative. He yeah. uses populist messaging, but his policy positions, you know, because he's a much more disciplined politician, his you know, messaging, his ability to get to voters uh, is much, much better than Trump's in many ways. You know, he excites that same really conservative base that likes Trump, but then he also communicates well, extremely well with Hispanics, as we saw in Florida, which I don't have the statistics on me, but he did win the Hispanic population by and, quite a lot and he also, in Florida. And he also won, I believe, college educated, a, a very did. few amount, yeah. but he won that. And typically Republicans don't ever really do great in those right. uh, groups, but he won that group in Florida. Right. So he's showing that he is very, he grew his, um, his voting majority. He grew his, um, or not, he grew his power in the state of Florida and right. grew his um, political powers very well. Well, he only won by a few thousand votes in 2018. Yeah. I think the vote margin was he had, you know, 48.6% and his opponent, Mayor Gillum, had like 484 or something like that. It was yeah. very close. 
DeSantis won this year 59 to 40. Yeah. Which is, in Florida, which is a traditional swing state, it has gone to Obama and it has gone to Trump. Um, they've had Democratic senators and Republican senators and Democratic governors and Republican governors. He walloped in Florida. 19 points in Florida is unheard of. And same goes with Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio won his race against Val Demings by about 19 points as well. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And they, they show a very um, strong way in the future for Republican politics. Because yeah. that being a swing state and winning by that many points shows you how to market to the rest of the world. or Absolutely. The rest of the country. Um, I would like to bring it to Arizona and talk about just our governor elections, our Senate elections. We, you know, we saw Carrie Lake lost uh, by 20,000 votes. We saw Blake Masters lost by how many points? What was it? Uh, he lost by about five points. Five points, about yeah. About four or five points. And we're having, I believe the recount is still happening for our attorney general. Mm-hmm. Um, what, I, what I looked at with Arizona is we see that people that associated with Trump lost in very big, not big landslides or even just slight landslides. But when you look at people like uh, Kimberly Yee, that won, she won by, I think, 11 points. Yeah, she did. And then I believe, I forgot who else was other. Oh, Rachel, Rachel. Oh, our, yes, the uh, the Maricopa County District Attorney won re-election uh, as a Republican by about 80,000 votes. Yeah. yeah, and she won that, and that's an area that Carrie Lake lost. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think it was because they didn't associate with this rhetoric of saying, the election was stolen. Right. Um, if I lose, the election is stolen. Right. Because, you know, going into that and saying that and telling people and telling voters, especially that even if you vote, it's probably going to not count and not matter. People don't really like to associate that. Them being extreme on a lot of issues like regarding abortion um, really hurt them. But with those two other conservatives, they won by margins that were unheard of for the rest of the Republicans Absolutely. in the state. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you look at Kimberly Yee, who is our state treasurer. She won, I think it was about 55 to 44. Yeah. And, you know, that was a race where she was the only Republican on a statewide ballot who was not endorsed by Donald Trump. Um, besides, I think, one congressional seat down in Tucson, which also, coincidentally, was run by a Republican. But a lot of these seats, you know, where Blake Masters and Carrie Lake and Abe Hamaday, who is our attorney general candidate, lost were generally just because they tacked a little too far to the right. They alienated a lot of these McCain voters. You know, Carrie Lake once said at a campaign rally, if you're a McCain Republican, get the hell out of here. And that to, you know, I can tell you having a lot of those sort of McCain-esque Republicans and Democrats in my family who were really supportive of him and his more moderate policy and his, you know, sort of the maverick streak, which even I support. um, Hearing that was pretty concerning to me. And I, I think that that was really what hurt her. She didn't lose by much either. You know, she almost, she could have won it. But I think if she had tacked a little more, a little more towards the center, she could have won, you know, Maricopa County. She could have won the state because Katie Hobbs, if we're being honest, was a terrible candidate. Terrible. And not a strong candidate against Carrie Lake. I mean, public speaking engagements, Carrie Lake wins all the time. I mean, she was a great public speaker and she's appealing to voters. And I do think people really want to vote Republican now. But at the same time, Democrats are using the denial of the 2020 elections as a way to show Republicans as some would call them as fascists or election deniers and the end of democracy. And that's really something powerful to voters because we value democracy over a lot of things. So 
there's a lot of Republicans that probably voted because they wanted to save democracy as the Democrats advertised to voters. Mm-hmm. And so if the if the Kerry Lakes, the Abe's and the Mark Finchams, all of them and Blake Masters got away from election denying, mm-hmm. they could have very easily won these elections. Absolutely. And took these ma- majorities as we see there's people voting for Republicans in the state by right. 11 points. Yeah. Well, I think the big important thing to notice, especially in our state of Arizona, is that generally people, you know, people do vote by party, but it's also pretty evident that people like to vote by, you know, just by the quality of the candidate. And so generally when you have, uh, you know, a pretty wild Republican or a pretty wild Democrat, they just throw them out. If you saw in 2018, we had a very progressive guy named David Garcia run for governor and our incumbent governor, Doug Ducey, beat him by almost 20 points. Whereas this time around, because we had a pretty far-right extreme candidate on the Republican side in Carrie Lake, and a more moderate, and, you know, I do think she's a bad candidate, and I don't really think she'll be a great governor, but she is our governor-elect, clearly. And Katie Hobbs, you know, Hobbs still won by almost a percent. And I think that that's just evidence of, you know, this is really, really poor showing because the Republicans went from winning by almost 20 points to losing. Yeah, and, and it's just the quality of candidates, you know. Once you get more people that are maybe have a business experience or have some public policy experience going into these offices, it be it lets the voters trust them a little bit more. Right. Um, but also the rhetoric that they have of, you know, we used to, the Republican Party used to stand very hard on we're the party of evidence, we are always right, we are factually right. And when the 2020 results come out and they say this is a fraud and they can't really prove that the election actually was not or the election was completely rigged and Joe Biden is not the actual president. A lot of voters see that and they're like, well, what happened to this party of factually being right? Right. You know, not, you know, using your brain instead of your heart. And that's where we've kind of lost that. That party, the Republican Party has lost that and now is going with these lies going away from always being the, the factual group and being seen as the in the, uh, the intellectuals of this uh, of politics. Right. Where the Democrats now are the intellectuals. They seem like the intellectuals. They seem mm-hmm. like the people getting things done as they're getting bills passed left and right. Right. It's just, it's hurting the Republicans and they need to step back, re- think about what they're going to do and move yeah. forward and Absolutely. drop some of the rhetoric. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean... I sort of agree. I read a column by Newt Gingrich, who used to be the Republican House Speaker, and I really agree with what he's saying, which is, you know, we we all kind of make fun of Joe Biden for his, you know, his speech impediment and for, you know, the fact that he clearly has lapses in judgment and that he is a really old guy. But then we underestimate how powerful he is when it comes to actual policy, which is the fact that, you know, personally, guys, I'm a very moderate, you know, I'm a pretty moderate guy. I lean conservative on some issues. And, you know, I don't agree with a lot of the Biden policy positions. I disagree with about 80 to 90 percent of it. But I will give him credit for the fact that he is a very effective legislative president. He's very effective at that, much more effective than Trump. And I think that that is really the big thing is the fact that Trump's influence on this election meant that even though there was record high inflation, a very liberal agenda being passed, um, you know, a huge crisis at the southern border. uh, And, you know, of course, there's a Ukraine crisis and the you know, we still barely have our trade war going on with China and there's the post-COVID economy. They had all of these things that Republicans could run on. And Kevin McCarthy said, you know, about this time last year, he said, we'll win 60 seats easily because we'll focus on inflation. 
But when Trump got involved, he said, you need to focus on the, focus on the election denialism. You need to focus on the culture war issues. They gained nine seats, which means they still got the majority, but they lost the Senate, which is well within their reach. And they lost, they were expected to gain on election day 20 to 30 seats, and they gained nine, which I think is really shows just what were they doing out there. And it's crazy because a lot of people before the election um, was over said they did not like the direction the country was going. Right. And typically what that means is people will vote for the opposite party to help fix the direction of the country. But we did not see that. And I think with Democrats, they passed the Inflation Reduction Act. They passed the CHIPS Act, um, which was making jobs, which mm-hmm. was helping with inflation, reducing drug costs, helping with gas prices. And with all these bills, I mean, even the, the CHIPS Act was helping make America more independent from Taiwan. Right. You know, Joe Biden passed a bunch of bills that were helping American people now, where a lot of the Republicans were talking about. 2020, the past, and maybe talk about the future and how we're going to stop Joe Biden, but we really didn't lay down how we're going to stop Joe Biden. We right. said we're going to vote him down and stop all of his bills, but yeah. his bills are helping people right now. Right. And I think the Republicans need to talk about a new direction and get away from 2020 That is because that is ripping them apart and ripping right. the Republican Party down um, slowly. Yeah. I mean, it's hurting our credibility at the end of the day. It's hurting our ability to win in swing states, it's hurting our ability to unite a more diverse coalition um, because we're not focusing on bread and butter issues. We're not focusing on the fact that, you know, Americans are paying more for rent. Americans are paying more for gas. Americans are paying more for cars. Um, you know, we're, we have a crisis at our border. We're, we're in a trade deficit. Our budget has been, we've been spending more money than we ever have at any point in our history. And we're not doing anything about our debt. It's, it's ridiculous. There's a huge amount of things that the Republicans could have campaigned on when it comes to being responsible with taxpayer money. And I think that, you know, my personal stance as a more fiscally conservative person is that that's what I want Republicans to run on because that's a bread and butter issue most Americans can agree on is we want the government to spend responsibly, not necessarily less, but responsibly. And I think that that is really just I'm I'm shocked that they didn't focus on that more. And abortion really did hurt us, but I think it was Lindsey Graham, if I'm correct, that introduced the nationwide abortion ban bill right after saying it's a state's rights issue, really hurt Republicans in a lot of states because they had to decide if they're a pro-state's right person yep. or using federal powers to ban abortion in all 50 states. And it's kind of crazy that... that that I feel like hurt Republicans a lot more because uh, I was currently working with I was volunteering at a Democrat's office and they would use that to you know talk about the other candidates saying this person will vote to ban abortion in all fifty states mm-hmm. you know they're not states' rights they'll vote to do this and take this away from you where if they did not have that bill out there the Republican congressmen and people running for Senate could stay away from having the whole abortion talk and say. It's going to be a state's rights issue. We're not going to touch it. Right. We're going to let our governors, our state house representatives deal with that. Mm-hmm. As a senator, though, I'm going to deal with inflation. I'm going to deal with the war in Ukraine. And I'm going to deal with Biden's policies. Right. But then with Lindsey Graham's bill, all of the senators, congressmen had to fight inflation, had to fight abortion, and fight them internally themselves with their political compass of state's rights or federal government increasing. Right. And I think that made a lot of voters, you know, have to... Made them really uncomfortable well, yeah. for Republicans. I think yeah. there's a lot of Republicans. 
and I know a few Republicans that voted for Katie Hobbs and um, Mark Kelly because of abortion. And if abortion wasn't a federal issue right now, or was during the election, then probably Blake Masters could have won more points and all these Republican uh, Republican senators it, because that Lindsey Graham bill would not have been in right. effect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, gee, thanks, Clarence Thomas, for that decision because at the end of the day, you, you know, that decision alone probably cost the Republicans the election. That and the election denialism both just completely killed it. Yeah. I mean, Biden is a weak president. You had a pretty thin House majority for the Democrats, a pretty thin like a 50-50 majority for for the Senate for Democrats. And you had an opportunity here to really take over with a really weak president, and you completely failed. Yeah. Completely. I mean, this is the first president since Franklin D. Roosevelt to not lose any state legislatures or incumbent senators, and the first president since 1986 to actually gain governorships in the midterms. I mean, you know, you had a Democratic governor in Kansas who could have lost... A Democratic governor in Michigan and Wisconsin who could have lost. Um, you had a Republican incumbent retire in Maryland and in Massachusetts yeah. and Arizona, and those were all picked up by Democrats. The only place where the Republicans made any gains was in Nevada, where they had a very, very good candidate running for governor in Nevada, and their the sheriff of the of Clark County, which I believe is Las Vegas, um, who ended up beating the the incumbent governor. Yeah. Um, and that's really the only the only race where it was it was evident that, you know, the Republicans presented a better uh, image of how they wanted to govern the state. And they did win that election. But they also lost the Senate in that same state. So, you know, you did see some cross ticket voting where people saw some candidates who they felt were more moderate and who they felt would better represent them nationally. But then locally, they wanted different representation. Yeah, and looking at that, like, quality of candidates is a very big thing. Uh, for New York, for example, the governor race in New York, I believe it was one of the closest races ever for a Republican in New York. Uh, in recent times. In absolutely. recent times, yeah. yes. Um, because, you know, New York is a Democrat stronghold, but this Republican that was a great candidate was able to make gains in New York at never before. Right. And was almost not almost able to make it, but... Made a pretty good, strong... Um, he gave Hochul a run for her money. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the exact word of the use. And so when you place candidates in states like that, and then place bad candidates in states that should easily win, that's how you get the results of what we see in 2022. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, Lee Zeldin was a fantastic candidate for governor of New York because, you know, he focused on? He focused on inflation and crime. Yeah. Which is the fact that New York is not a safe city anymore. And he really used that, and he said, you know what, I'll work with the Democratic mayor and Eric Adams, I'll work with the Democratic city council, I'll work with the Democratic legislature to get things done, and I won't focus a really progressive, you know, set of issues like Hochul was. But Hochul still won, you know, New York is a very Democratic, you know, state, They're, it's not going to go Republican anytime soon. But he did affect a lot of down-ballot races, where a lot of Republicans did win seats in New York, where they probably wouldn't have without him. But, you know, he was endorsed by Trump, but he really rejected that as time went along. And that was really helpful, I think, for him. Well, and one congressional race here in Arizona that I was somewhat following um, was, was uh, Greg Stan versus... Um, Kelly Cooper, I Yeah, think. Kelly yeah. Cooper. And Kelly Cooper, he would sometimes use his Trump endorsement and sometimes not. 
And you would see him trying to pick and choose his endorsements. And I think that's something Republicans need to get better at and realize that, you know, maybe somebody like Trump is toxic waste. And I should get away from that so then I could try to win this election. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, the difficult thing about getting rid of Trump is that a lot of the local level precincts for Republicans and state level parties are completely controlled by, you know, his his members. We in the Republican Party in Arizona just threw out the chair, Kelly Ward, who is um, I have some very strong personal opinions on her because I think that she's just detestable and I don't think that she's a good leader for the party. And I know she ran a primary against McCain and lost, which I think was good. Um you know, she, she got thrown out because she just wouldn't focus on the right issues. And she lost all these really winnable races in a pretty red state in Arizona. Now, Arizona is not really, it's becoming purple, but traditionally it's been a very, very, very red state for a long time. Well, yeah, I think Arizona voters wanted to vote Republican. Yeah. You saw that with a few races where they won in landslides. I think it's just that it was, it was, the voting this year was, uh, voting for Trump or not voting for Trump. Right. And when you had tickets that were not a, not a Trump-backed candidate, they would win those tickets. And when you had a Trump-backed candidate, they would lose, uh, lose those tickets very quickly. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I know so many people who split their tickets by, you know, they didn't like Hobbs, so they'd vote for Lake, but then they saw Blake Masters as too extreme, so they'd vote for Mark Kelly. You know, there's just a lot of places like that where it just, like, what can you do? You know, there's some that are better than others. Um, Blake went, ran a pretty great campaign, but as I said, you know, she focused too much on the denialism and I honestly hate to say it, but I think it didn't help her that Trump was probably considering her for his vice president. And I think a lot of Arizonans sort of put the, put the math together and said, all right, she'll probably be a governor for two years and then Trump will announce her as, you know, VP and then she'll quit. Yeah. So they sort of, I guarantee you that was a factor in a lot of voters' decisions, which is I think a lot of them said, well, I'd rather have a governor for four years rather than one for two. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's feasible that that was in the minds of, you know, a few thousand voters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's there's so much just nonsense, basically, with this going on that we just can't really... You know, the Republicans just can't win in a statewide election in Arizona or in any state, for that matter, that's a swing state that can really, you know, effectively give us majorities right yeah. now, with, given given the track of the party. But we'll talk more about where that party is going in our next segment, which will be right after this. So we'll we'll uh, launch this episode And then our second part will come out directly after this, where we'll start talking about 2024 and 2028. So thank you guys so much for listening in. We appreciate your patience. We know it's been a little while since we posted, but we really appreciate you guys listening, and we will talk to you soon.